What's up, Fathom fam? Welcome to the weekly Sunday Sermon Podcast. You can follow us to stay up to date on everything going on at Fathom on the Church Center app, Instagram, or YouTube, our Facebook page, or our Fathom Fam Facebook group. We hope to see you there, but for now, we're going to jump right into the message. Good morning, good morning, Fathom Fam. How's everybody doing today? Y'all good? Everybody gets happy when fall weather comes out. Yeah, we just, we feel like we live somewhere else. We're like, where did this come from? We're so surprised by it. Happens every year at some point, but uh, it showed up early. We're so thankful for that. I want to thank everybody that's joining us at home, our online Fathom fam. Uh, we, we hope you just jump on in, jump on into the, the family, grow in your faith, and, and really grow in community. I'm so thankful that we're able to, to do this life together. Just uh, as your pastor, I, I just want to just thank you for just how you've leaned in over the course of the past year and a half. There's a lot of things that could divide us, uh, but coming together and breaking the bread and sticking together, I'm just really proud of you. And I wanted to tell you that this morning. And I really believe in this latter part of the year that God's going to continue to grow us, uh, continue to strengthen us in our faith, and continue to to grow us in our relationship uh, with another. So next week, we're kicking off this new series called The House of God. What does it mean to belong to the body of Christ? So we're going to be teaching that throughout the month of October, and hopefully you are registered marriage conference. It's going to be an amazing uh, weekend, the best investment you can make in your marriage. I truly uh, believe it. Okay, so let's dive into uh, the, the final part of our new series called Attitude Adjustment. I've heard from so many of you that this has been really helpful. It's really helped get your attitude back in line where it needs to be that Jesus set the standard for us, and uh, and I'm praying that, that today's going to be a fit inclusion for us as we continue to, to navigate uh, the world that we live in, both our, our global world and our world that uh, each of us are, are uh, learning to live out in our own families. I want to begin with the text. I want to go right to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 9 through 12, and this is going to wrap up uh, the Beatitudes. So let's read this together, and we'll start to process how, how, uh, what Jesus is saying to us and what this means for our lives. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, For they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. I tried to explain that to my son when he got picked on at school and he didn't get it. (laughs) Right? It's difficult to process. Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me on the account of Jesus. Verse 12. Do I have verse 12? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were uh, before you. I, I wanted to make sure we put in that, that, um, that last verse, even though I forgot to give it to him back there, because that's what I hope for out of this message. It's going to start a little bit heavy, but Jesus in this kind of transition from these attitudes of his kingdom, his upside down way of, of his followers, with this idea of rejoicing and being glad. After we talk about persecution, but Jesus is like, smile, it's going to be good. And so I want you to smile back at me and just say, hey, it's going to be good. We're going to talk about some heavy things and the reality of the world we live in and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, but this is, this is the, the, the message that Jesus wants us to, to go and carry forward. Because the next verse, Jesus is going to look to his disciples. He's going to look to the future church, the, the coming church. 
and say, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And, and come on, it's hard to be a light of the world with a big old frown on your face. And so Jesus wants us to have uh, joy in our hearts um, and, and that to carry over. So uh, to do this today, to, to begin to talk about this, we're going to uh, end up looking at the life of Esther. But before we, we do... Regardless of how old you are, I know we've got some teens um, in here, regardless of whether you've started growing hair on your face or if all the hair has turned white or let go, whatever it might be, no matter how long you've been living in this world, I'm guessing that you have in your own mind, you've been able to look out into our culture and see a gradual and sometimes significant moral decline in our culture. Like even those without... um, Uh, a biblical framework or a biblical worldview on what truth is and what sin is, even those without that look out into the world and say, things have gotten progressively worse when it comes to the morality of our culture, right? It doesn't even take Christians to be able to recognize that. We've all been able to recognize that. And we've seen this in so many different ways, right? Um, And and it's really not new, right? It's been happening since Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. but But we have been able to recognize it in our own life. There's different aspects that maybe have become a fever pitch for us that we've, that, that when I say, hey, where have you seen that moral decline? We all might say a bunch of different things, and, and, and if it's based on the Word of God, then we all will probably be right <laughs> on, on those things, right? We could look to uh, the matter of um, Roe v. Wade 40 years ago, right, and, and just the devaluing of human life with abortion, and we would say we've seen this devaluing, and maybe we would look to issues of war or issues of of um, immigration and, and, and how we treat refugees, or, or we, we might look to issues like euthanasia and all this devaluing of the human life, right? And then maybe we'll, we'll look to something else, and maybe we'll look to just the perversion of sexuality and just this over-sexualized culture and the access to pornography is easier to get, you know, on your phone in five seconds. It's easier to look at, at that than it is to get a glass of milk, right? We might look to this over-sexualization of our culture or, or just the, the, the devaluing of the sanctity of marriage that, that the Bible defines for us. We might look to all kinds of different things that we say, yeah, I've seen this, or, or what's happening in our education system, or what's happening uh, with our children and, and the school shooting. We, we'll look to all kinds of things. There'll be different things that we first look to, but we've all been able to recognize it. And there's a lot of things that have led up to this, and again, I believe it started from Genesis. It started with Genesis when Adam and Eve said, you know what? They, they took the bait. They took the bait of Satan, which said, you can be like God. You can be your own God. And, and, and really, Satan is deceiving them to think that they're, they're fine on their own to just be their own God. And we've seen this, this what we're calling, what, what I would call moral relativism, right? It's just us all getting, there, there are no absolutes. We all get to decide our own right and wrong, right? That, that's the culture around us that we live in. But there's these two philosophical ideas, one of secularism that's kind of built up to that following the Enlightenment, which secularism essentially says we don't need God. We don't want God. We don't want him in the political sphere. Uh, there should, there should, should be no God in the educational sphere. In, in our community life, we don't need God. And that's really the, the idea behind secularism but in America in particular, the, the, the distortion of the Founding Fathers' intentions 
for separation of church and state is really where that began to take off, right? It, it, the separation of church and state was so that, that, that religion would not be forced down anybody's throat, right? That, that the government would not be mandating religion, but that it, it was not that people could not practice and, and, and have God in their life and be a part of their political discourse. Because as we've removed God from our political discourse, so has our morality and our culture because we've got no foundation for good and right and wrong. You following me? So secularism is one of them. And the other one is pluralism, which I've taught on many times and I continue to teach on it because it's somebody's first Sunday every single time. Um, and, and pluralism, where secularism says uh, we don't need God, we don't want God in our community life, in our discourse. Uh, uh, pluralism says we all get to be our own God, right? It, it's really what the bait of, of Satan in the garden, right? You can be your own God. You can make up what's right and wrong. And so we see it's the same game that's being had here in this fall that started in Genesis. This is the world we're living in. They were living in it in the 10th century. They were living it in the 7th century. And we, in our time, are wrestling with this decline, this, this groaning of the earth that we see waiting for redemption. As Brad led us in communion just a few moments ago, reminding us that this is a reminder that Jesus will come back to restore all things. So we, we've seen these things, and it's these two ideals that have come together, and where anything goes that have led up to this moral relativism but I want to remind you that this too is the environment that, that uh, Abraham was called out of. He was in a polytheistic world. As God called Abraham, it, it was not, as we get the, the story of the Bible, it was not convincing people that, hey, um, uh, there is a God. No, no, they had lots of gods. They all got to be their own gods. They all had their little idols and their worship. No, Abraham was called out of that life into a life in relationship with the one true living God and and many of us, we too have been called out of a culture that says you can have your own God. You, you make up a hundred different gods. We've been called out of that. And some of us, we still find ourselves uh, living in such a way, overwhelmed by the moral relativism and, and, and living by our own opinions. And we've been a God to ourselves. There are no absolutes to each their own. So uh, with this framework, I, I want to preach a message to you um, to, to wrap up this series entitled, This is Our Time. Persecution and peacemaking in the midst of pluralism. This is our time because I know so many of us will, will look at the culture and we're overwhelmed by what we see and we don't like it. But here's the reality. It's, this is where, where we live. <laughs> this is our time. And rather than being overwhelmed, I want to call us into uh, really the word of God and, and these beatitudes where persecution and peacemaking, Jesus kind of, kind of just sandwiches them together here at the end and then tells us to rejoice. That's all going to be good, right? It's kind of difficult um, to, to wrap this all together, but um, I'm prayerful that, that we can do it today. So um, with that framework, let's talk about the life of Esther. Uh, last week, we jumped into the life of Joseph, and I covered a lot of ground in that. Um, and I'm going to do the same, and I like to get an amen when I choose not to read the entire book, so I'm not going to read the whole book. Everybody said amen, right? I just appreciate your support. Uh, I would love to read it. Um, you will get hungry if we read the whole book of, of Esther. Um, but I, I want to give some principles that I believe I see in the life of Esther, for per, like dealing with persecution, how to walk faithfully, um, how, how to understand peace in our own life, and then how to be a vessel of peace in, in the world around us, and then to trust God for his deliverance and, um, and the freedom that he brings us. So 
the, the life of Esther, the story of Esther, the book of Esther, I think it is really helpful to think about it uh, with the three major feasts that take place uh, there. Uh, one of those is actually a Jewish feast like Brad was talking about. Uh, two of them were just kind of feast big parties that they were having. Uh, you can go ahead and throw all those up. These are the three feasts that we'll kind of be working through. So each of the points I'm going to talk to you about really can kind of connect to these feasts and this movement that's taking place. The first is the Feast of Xerxes. Anybody ever heard of Xerxes? Read about it in your history books. He's a you know, historic Persian king um, that, uh, that he had actually planned for about four years to overthrow Greece and like overthrow uh, uh, the, the Greek um, uh, empire. And so he'd been planning for that. And in the midst of that time, he threw a 180-day party. <laughs> like some might say, that's a feast. Like he was throwing a feast that went on and on and on. This dude liked to eat. I would... Man, I, I couldn't even get up out of bed if we partied for, for 180 days. And so they're doing it around the clock, bringing all these nobles in. And his wife is a woman named Vashti. And Vashti is not having it. She is not about the party and the, and the festivities and his plans to take over the world. She's not about it. And so she won't come to the party. And he says, okay, you're dead to me. Like, literally, kill her. You're dead. <laughs> like, you're dead to me. And so that's just kind of guy he was. That was culture he, he had in his, um, his empire. So he had her killed. And then he brings all these young girls. Like, he's like, all right, I'm going to go younger. I want a younger woman. And so he brings all these younger girls, and they go through, like, what sounds nice. It sounds like a spa treatment for six months. And they're just kind of getting beautiful for the, the, the king. And at the end of it, he was going to choose uh, the young woman that he wanted. I don't know about you, but that sounds like child trafficking to me. Like straight up. I'm pretty sure that's what was taking place here. Okay, Nobody ever talks about that, but I'm pretty sure that was taking place. So just to kind of frame where, where her, what her life looks like. So um, she uh, begins to, to um, you know, she gets ready. The king chooses her, and she's a young Jewish girl in a Persian empire. A young servant girl, and he chooses her because she's pretty. Well, she's queen now. She becomes queen at a young age, and time goes on. And as we get to chapter 3 of Esther, there's this guy named Haman who works in the Persian Empire who hates Jews. He, he, doesn't hate, he hates them for who they are and for what they stand for. Because why? Because they were a people, verse, uh, or chapter 3 says, they were a people who set themselves apart. They were different. Because God had told them to be different. He said, you are to be holy because I'm holy. That literally means set apart. They were a people who were apart from the Persian Empire that said, we got this God and that God, right? They were apart from that, and he didn't like that at all. And so he convinced Xerxes to, hey, let's kill everybody. Let's kill anybody who's not willing to bow down uh, to to the king and and to worship all the gods who who think that they're special. Let's kill them all. And so, he, believed, so he, he got the king to sign off on genocide. <laughs> crazy that this could become legalized genocide. It sounds crazy, but I've literally stood in two different places in my life um, in which genocide was legal and normal in their time. I, I've, I've gone to South Australia and, and stared Aboriginal people in their face grandmothers who up until the 1920s and 30s, they were hunted as wild game, right? This is in the past century, right, in our world. I stood on the killing fields of, of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia and walked through these prison camps and where anyone who was educated, if you had a degree, if you graduated from high school, if you wore glasses, you even looked educated, they killed you. 
So I've stood in these places, and so we can feel like that's very far off, but it's actually not far off. It's happening in our world today, just not here, right? And so Esther's wrestling with this because now there's an edict that her people would be killed because they've set them apart, and they're trying to be faithful to God, that they would be killed. And, and she doesn't know what to do with it. She's a young girl, but her uncle is a guy named Mordecai. Mordecai works at the gate, and he sees what's going on, and she's like not sure what to do, and and Esther uh, chapter 4, verse 14 says this, says this, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You ever heard that phrase, such a time as this? And I know as we look out into our world, we don't know what to do, right? We feel overwhelmed um, by persecution that's taking place overseas, things uh, that, that feel as persecution today in our own life, physically, whether it be at work or in the political environment, and we don't know what to do with it. But here's where I believe we've got to start, is we've got to just come to terms with this is where we're at. This is our times. We can like it or not like it. But, but we spend so much time and energy like looking out there um, and, and really hoping that things would be different. And we, instead, we should be pushing all that time and energy into making a difference. Right? We spend so much time wishing it was different and not enough time actually making a difference. And we should wish that it was different, right? The kingdom of God would come on earth that is in heaven. But that's going to be a process that is, that is consummated at the return of Christ and when he sets all things in order. So I just want to speak this word into us today to seek to be faithful in the time and the place that you've been called. Right? Rather than being overwhelmed, just, hey, I want to be faithful right now. What does it look like for me to be faithful in this time? And that may mean enduring some suffering at some point. That, that may mean being laughed at in your workplace. But if that's where God's called you, then be faithful in it. And so I think it's important that we understand that we don't call everything persecution, but we also don't call nothing persecution. So what does Jesus tell us is persecution? He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for what? For righteousness' sake, right? Not your opinion's sake. Not your conviction's sake, right? Conviction is different than righteousness, it's very important we understand this. It's different, right? And you need to live out the convictions that God placed on your life, but it's very different than righteousness. Righteousness is right actions and right thinking based on the word of God, not your convictions, not your political party, not anything else. It's righteousness sake. So doing the right thing, and if you are persecuted for it, Jesus says you're blessed, right? If you're being persecuted because it sounds fun, or, or you just want to stir junk up, you're actually doing more of the work of the enemy than you are the work of God. Because uh, the enemy, Satan, is uh, one who loves to stir stuff up. Jesus is a reconciler. Jesus is one who calls us. God is working to reconcile all people to himself. And some of us, we're either helping with that mission or we're not helping with that mission. So we've got to seek to be faithful 
It could mean enduring suffering. It could also mean actually sitting down with some people who are praying for people who are sick, praying for people who are being persecuted, sitting with them. That, that might be what faithfulness looks like today. Faithfulness might be calling up your senator or uh, your House of Representatives person or sending an email just to, hey, I want to be faithful. I can't spend my whole life in that, but hey, I, it matters to me. But what, what does faithfulness look like for, for, for you today? What, what, what is faithfulness in the time and place you've been called? Let's just understand this is where we are called to, so we want to be faithful in it. So that, that was happening during the feast of uh, Xerxes. The, the second feast that we'll talk about here in a few moments is uh, the feast of Esther. And so Haman, you know, hates this idea. There's this whole edict out there. Um, and if you look to um, verse 16, if you'll throw that up there, uh, we're going to stay in chapter 4. I'm not going to be going all over the place in Esther. I'm literally staying Esther 14 and 16. I'm looking at these literally two verses to give you this today. Here's what she says after she's wrestling with this, and he's like, if, you know, if you don't do it, you might die. Um, just, we, 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 Maybe you're there for such a time as this. Here's what Mordecai, uh, here's what uh, Esther's response to her uncle Mordecai is. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, in the Persian Empire, and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So I, look at the process that Esther goes to goes through in this. As she knows that there's persecution, doesn't know how to be faithful in it, her uncle Mordecai is giving her some wisdom and just some pressure, like you got to do something. Maybe you're here for a time such as this. What does she do? She said, y'all, we need to pray. And I need you to not just pray, I need you to fast for me. It's, I'm going to go another step so God sees me and hears me. And, and you know what um, is interesting about the book of Esther is that the name God is not mentioned anywhere in it. Maybe you might find that strange. I, I find it strange indeed, but also kind of beautiful because if you really look into the text, God's hand is all over it. His fingers are on the scale protecting his people. And, and sometimes I think this is a message for some of us. We don't see God right now, but that doesn't mean that God's not at work on your behalf. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be called to pray and to fast in our time. And that's where she goes. And, and I believe before she could get to the place where she says, if I perish, I perish, her, she first had to have peace with God to, to know that. And so many of us, I, here, here's the, the second thought I, I have for you today, is just um, uh, let the peace of God within overflow to those without. Let the peace of God within overflow to those without. Let's talk about peace for just a moment. Um, how many of y'all wish you had a little peace in your life? Yeah. We all wish for more peace in our life. All right, we've had those times in which chaos ensues in our whole world over the past year and a half. How many wish there was a little more peace in our world, right? Um, the Jewish understanding of peace is based on the word shalom. That's, that's the Hebrew word in the Old Testament. If you look behind that, it's the word shalom. In the New Testament, we have the Greek word irene. Um, it's important that you kind of understand that, that the peace of God covers someone's entire existence, their entire being. Yes, it, it means their relationship with God, that to have peace with God. 
And you can go ahead and throw that up real quick, uh, these three levels of layers of peacemaking. It means peace with God. So it, it does uh, matter in, in that way. But the peace of God, it, shalom really means wholeness. It means someone's entire being. It means their relationships. It means their finances, their business. And so Jews, when they would come and when they would go, they would say, shalom, bro. And it meant peace. They didn't say, bro, I, that's, my, that's my version. They'd mean it over their entire being, their entire existence, their relationships. They're saying peace over your mind, wholeness and completeness, that things are right between you and God and with all around you, with you and your children, like every single area of their life. But Jesus is also calling us to not only to be peacemakers of peace with God and, and to receive the peace of God, but also peacemakers with one another, to bring peace with one another. So let's talk about these for just just a, a brief moment. When we understand that sense of wholeness, when we talk about the peace with God, it's calling, this is the first an, uh, initiative f- for Christians. We should care about someone's peace with God. And we can't offer to them anything we don't have. And so I just want to encourage you today, if you don't have peace with God, that is to say, you have not surrendered your life and your will to Jesus Christ and made a decision to follow him with your whole life. Or you have and you have strayed away from that. I want to call you to get peace with God today. And I can't do that for you. No preaching of my message, but, but the word of God convicting your heart can bring you to repentance today. And I want to call you to that peace with God. Because we are called to be evangelists, that, that we are ministers of reconciliation, Paul says. We're reconciling the world, not, not just to each other, right? Just to have some utopia. No, no, we're ministers of reconciliation, so they need Jesus. That, that, that's what it's all about. And, and, but for some, I say that's what it's all about, but there's more to it. If we look at the life of Jesus, he wants the peace of God in our life. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 says, now let the peace of God rule within your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, right? There is unity and peace of God in each of our own hearts. And some of us, we've allowed some other things to rule our heart. We've allowed fear to rule our heart. We've allowed resentment to rule our heart. We've allowed unforgiveness to rule our heart. We've, we've allowed other gods to rule our heart. Other idols. We, we were called out, and maybe at one point we, we started good, but now we've found ourselves with other things ruling our heart. So we need to get peace with God, but we need the peace of God to rule our hearts. I wonder if, if today, as we pray and respond, if God might help us to, to really begin to live and walk in the peace of God in such a way that we literally, we walk out, we turn off this video feeling different than when we turned it on and when we walked in. I believe that God can do that for us. And it's important that we understand that when we're called to reconcile and be peacemakers, it's to the entire person, their entire shalom being, Right, so uh, bringing the peace of God. And if we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus sat with sinners. Uh, Jesus um, healed people. He fed them. What was the significant need? And so many times bringing the peace of God in certain areas of someone's life can usher in the opportunity for them to have peace with God. All right, some of you are here today because of a marriage conference that we had in which, hey, we said, we care about your marriage. Or maybe it was a financial group that you leaned into and it really helped you and some people helped you just walk through what it looks like to, 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 to get out of debt or whatever it might be or walk through that situation. 
or, or to bless you and, and give you, they were generous to you and it moved your heart and now you have peace with God. Because, but it started with peace of God. What, what might that look like in each one of our lives? So we can't just say, hey, I just care about your salvation. Jesus cares for the entire individual. Even in, in certain instances, like we look at the woman with the issue of blood, a woman who was completely ostracized from society. Uh, and when Jesus healed her, he didn't just bring wholeness and shalom to her physical body. Things started changing for her financial life because it was upside down. Now she has an opportunity to be included in society and to make ends meet. And not only that, but look at her relationships. God brought, Jesus brought shalom to her entire existence. And if we're going to be good to those outside of us, we've got to have the peace of God within and let that overflow to those without it. That means we cannot hold back the gospel good news and just meet peace of God needs when there's a peace with God need. All right? And then we get to the place where we, we, of course, begin to talk about peace with one another. And it's an ongoing process in our life to begin to have um, uh, see our own role in making peace. Because l- l- let's be real, sometimes it just feels good to be mad at somebody. It just feels good, and we like it. But God's called us to be peacemakers. Does that mean peace is always going to be possible? No. In fact, I'll explain this by using a little bit of a musical reference. Um, there's three words that I, w- I want to teach you real quick in music. One is un- uh, unison. Um, that's where we all sing the same note. We're all singing the exact same note. The other is harmony, and then some. And I'll just kind of put this with our relationships. Some relationships we can have unity in, other relationships we can have harmony in, and some of them. The third musical term is the word dissonance. It means it's, there's a rub there, and it's just not going to happen. And oftentimes that is what leads to um, persecution. Many times. So unison, we're all singing the same note. The body of Christ in, in our homes, in us as the body, this local body, we should have unity. We should be pursuing um, uh, peace with one another. That means if someone has offended us, we go and we ask for forgiveness. If someone has hurt us, we go and we make things right. We are reconcilers working to be peacemakers in this way, to bring unity. And in the essentials, there's unity. And in the non-essentials, there's charity, as the old saying goes. Right? But also in, in the peace um, of God, we can begin to have harmony with some. Right, People, like the people of, of Jewish tradition, even those who are agnostic, and maybe they're just, they don't care. I don't care what you do. Right, They're very pluralistic in their thinking. And, and we're not going to believe the same things, but we can sing different notes, and, and all, paths don't lead to G, like all paths don't lead to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we can have harmony. We can get along with them. But then there's going to be some people who their way of life, their worldview says, you're not allowed to believe what you believe. And there's going to be dissonance there. And the reason composers and musicians put dissonance there is because it draws your attention in order to do two things. One, just unnerve you, and that you it catches your attention. And for some of us, we've got dissonance in some relationships because God's just trying to get our attention and get us on our knees and draw close to him. But here's the thing. The beauty about dissonance is so many times, uh, depending on who the author is, and who's submitted to the author of it, that it's the, the point of, of dissonance is to resolve it. And usually, this is a very nerdy musical, usually it's to bring unison. Sometimes it's going to bring harmony. And that's our job as, in peacemaking is to figure out, is this a unison situation? Is it a harmony situation? 
Or is this a dissonant situation? And it's either going to lead one way or not, parting ways or actually bringing the gospel into their life, peace with God or peace of God. What's my role in that? That's a lot. I hope this is helpful for your life. I hope it's helping you process some things in our world and maybe in your own specific world. Let's finish up the story. Esther throws another party, right? He had had this whole 180-day party, and Esther, the Feast of Esther, is a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller than what he was throwing, but she did it because she wanted to convince him. She wanted to convince him uh, that this is not okay, that this is not okay. And it was very dangerous at that time for her to go before him, and she got to that place in her own heart, peace with God, the peace of God, to say, if I perish, I perish. And so she decided to throw this party and have this big party and, you know, figure, get him happy, you know, eating, you know, eating really well. And then he, he the, um, uh, chapter 7 tells us that very much. He was very happy. He was eating, whining, and dining. And uh, he says to her, whatever you want, baby, you can have it up to 49% or 50%. You can't have 51% of my kingdom, but whatever you want. And she's like, I've got one request. And it's, I don't know if you know that this is what's going on. She's like, that's me. Uh, I'm a Jew. This is my people. And, and the king's ticked off. He, he loves her, thinks she's beautiful. It's his new wife. <laughs> and and he's, he says to her, who is it? Who did this? And like, dude, it was you. You've been drinking way too much because you don't remember. It was Haman. It was the guy in your courts. It was one of your people who did this. And the king lost his mind. He was furious. And uh, long story short, Haman had prepared a poll to impale Mordecai on. Long story short, Mordecai had protected the king in a situation. Haman, Haman had prepared a poll to impale him on. That was just normal back then, right? To impale somebody that, dis, that, that, that you disagree with. But that's the persecution that was taking place. So he prepares this poll and the king says, that poll is for Haman not for Mordecai. So God brings incredible deliverance in the midst of this feast that she threw for the king, not knowing. She, she walked that out in wisdom, and it would end up being Haman. You see, I, remember how I said, judge not, lest you be judged, right? We read that verse um, last week. Impale not, lest you be impaled, right? <laughs> Trying to impale others, right? So that's exactly what happened for Haman. And then right after that, we have the third feast, which is the Feast of Purim, and that is a Jewish feast that recognizes God's deliverance. I want to look to the final text, actually going back to the, the previous text of chapter 4, verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. This is, this is Mordecai saying this to Esther. Hey, he didn't say it outright, but that deliverance was the deliverance of God that would take um, over and allow them. And the tables were indeed turned by the time we get to chapter 9 of Esther. The tables are turned, and now everyone who uh, meant them harm, they have defended themselves, and, and they've, they've killed many. Esther chapter 9 is not a great place to talk about peace with one another because they're like overthrowing the thing. Different story another day. But um, I, I want you to get this message that God will bring deliverance for the church. And that's why we can rejoice. And that's why we can be glad when we're persecuted or when we're living out all the standard of what Jesus says is blessed and what is to be honored among the church. It may not be honored in society when you're merciful to someone and they want to crucify them. 
It may not be honored uh, when you're mourning with somebody. It may not be honored when uh, you, you are being meek and then somebody's steamrolling you. It may not be honored, but Jesus says you're blessed. You're blessed because you're going to see God. You're going to receive his mercy. You're going to be called sons of God. You're going to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And so be faithful in our time and let the peace of God within overflow to those without and trust God and wait for his deliverance. Wait for him to protect you. If it's in a relationship or a situation at work and man, somebody's trying to put you in a weird place and you've held your ground and said, I'm not going to do that because I believe it's unethical. I believe it's wrong. Hold your ground. Let God protect you. Let God bring deliverance. That doesn't mean you can't speak your mind meekly and mercifully carrying it through this situation, but at the same time, you got to trust God to bring deliverance. Esther is a story. The book of Esther and her life is a story that God will protect you and bring deliverance. Let's read finally John chapter 16, verse 33. In the world, you will have tribulation. You'll have persecution. Your, things are not always going to be easy. Jesus is telling his disciples, it's not always going to be a bed of roses in your marriage. It's not always going to be super easy in the family of God. We're going to disagree on some things, and, and some, we're going to hurt one another. We're going to fall short of that. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And some of us, the message we need to hear today is he's overcome the world. And then, and then, and then Jesus goes into the next verse. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Go and live and be faithful in your time. Trust that God will protect you and bring about your deliverance. Man, it's a high standard, isn't it, that Jesus calls us to? It's weighty. It's, it's not something uh, we come to embody overnight. It's, it's something that's going to take our entire lifetime working to move from, oh, that's nice, to truly living it and practicing it to the place that we're embodying it, that we represent the goodness of God. And I don't know what's going on in your world. I, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't give you a ton of personal illustration stuff. I told you about other people's persecution because it kind of feels fake, you know, for me to say I've been persecuted when I, when I think about the lives of the disciples and they were crucified upside down and, you know, in different parts of the world. You go through and you just look at, at what that meant in their life. And, and it's hard to kind of complain too much about my persecution when I, when I know what people are walking through around our globe. Um, and I, so I don't know what's going on in your world. I, I don't know where, I don't know who doesn't have peace with God today. Um, but I know that God's, God's waiting for you and he's overcome the world so that you can have peace with God. I, I don't know what's been ruling your heart, but I know that God invites us to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. I'm not sure the situations and the people in your life in which there's discord or dysfunction right now, and some of that, it's not going to change overnight. And so I know it's hard to live faithfully in those situations. But I, I want to encourage you today to be a peacemaker. I want to encourage you to endure the persecution, whatever it might be, and to look to be faithful in the time that you've been called, the place you've been called, the family you've been called, the work you've been called, the city you've been called. Be faithful to share the peace with God, to be, bring the peace of God, and to work in whatever way God gives us an opportunity through his wisdom to be a peacemaker.
in the body of Christ and in our city. Will you stand with me? I want to pray with you today. Fathom Church, I pray that we are a city on a hill, not of our own accord, but we are a representative as a city on the hill, both corporately, as Colossians says, as one body, and individually, that we are lights. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today, and we thank you, God, that there is rest for the weary in your arms. God, we pray right now for brothers and sisters persecuted right now in Afghanistan and Iran that are scared to death for their lives because they've seen people be impaled in the past week in their city square of sorts. God, we pray for them right now. God, right now, for all that we look out and we see in this world, God, you see it so much more and yet you've overcome it. You've overcome the world and so help us Father, to rest in your peace, to have peace with you, to live with the peace of God, that we might be helpful to those that do not have it. Help us to be faithful as peacemakers, to endure all that you call us to endure, and we'll be faithful to you and give you all the glory, God. Help us to be a people of joy. Help us to be a people of joy, God. Help for those that came in weary today or turned on uh, the, the live stream, God, weary today. Help us rejoice and be glad in, in you, God, knowing that you've overcome the world. We love you today, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to be down here, and if, if you just say, hey, man, I need, I need peace with God, and I need somebody to pray with me today, I, I'd love to pray with you down here. If you say, hey, I... I've had something else rule in my heart. I've had some other things rule in my heart and I need the peace of God. Would you pray with me? We want to pray with you. If there's a relationship that you, you need somebody to say, will you join with me? I just need to say this out loud. I need God's wisdom. We want to pray with you. This band's going to lead us and we just invite you just to respond in your own way. Respond in your heart to what Jesus is asking of us. Thanks for listening in today. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to celebrate with you. To connect with us about what your next step with Jesus might be, or even if you need help figuring that out, you can text the keyword FATHOM to 97000 anytime and follow the prompts. You can also go ahead and type in the search bar of your podcast app, FATHOM Beyond Sunday, and there you'll find our new podcast. You'll be able to listen in on some really great conversations, just taking the truth of God's word from our Sunday sermon a step further, talking about how we can apply these truths to our everyday lives between Monday and Saturday, not just on Sunday. We love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.